If you look at verse 24, Romans 7, 24, I'm going to quote the Apostle Paul. Uh, and I'm going to answer, it's, it's not going to be answered today, but this week and next week, I'm going to be talking about why Christians sins. Why do we still sin? And it's very frustrating. If you're safe for very long, you get very frustrated. Why do I still do wrong? Why is it that I still struggle with the will of God, with the word of God? Why is it I fight God? So, even though you're saved. So, by way of introduction, listen to the Apostle Paul talk about himself in chapter 7 and verse 24. Look what he says. Oh, wretched man that I, what's the next word? Just say that little two-letter word. All right, he doesn't say what I was. He says what I am. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So right off the bat, he says, I'm a wretched man. Go to Philippians chapter 3 now. We'll come back to Romans in a moment. Philippians, I got some scripture to give you. Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Colossians, oh, sorry, Galatians, uh, one of them. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. <clears throat> now, when the Bible uses the word conversation, it's an older word. It means everything that you, you, you say with your words and you say with your life. So we'll say your lifestyle. For our conversation is where? Listen, don't you, don't you copy the lifestyle of this world. Don't copy the lifestyle of the pub, the disco, or Netflix. Our lifestyle comes from heaven. It's, it's, it's how we're going to live in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many are you looking forward to him coming back? Amen. He's coming back, man. Verse 21, who shall change our beautiful body? <laughs> what does he say? Our vile body that it, praise God, will be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. First Timothy chapter 1. Keep going to the right. Go to First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. <clears throat> First Timothy 1 15. This is a faithful saying. This is something you can say and never be ashamed of it. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save perfect people. No, he saved sinners of whom I was chief. All right. You know, a good negative view of yourself is a good, healthy thing. Now, we have the habit of having a negative view of everybody else. We can find fault with everybody else like a microscope, but we never look at ourselves. And Paul says, I'm wretched, I'm vile, and I'm a sinner. I'm the chief of sinners. Now, uh, look at Job. I need to go to the book of Job, chapter 40. So if you go to Psalms, go left. Middle of your book, go left from Psalms, and you'll hit the book of Job, chapter 40, verse 3. Up until this point, the entire book of Job, Job has lost everything. He is ruined, and he is trying to talk to God, and he's trying to justify himself and say, God, this is unfair. What you've done to me is, is, is not right. And in chapter 40, he learns his lesson. He realizes He's the problem. Look at chapter 40 in verse 3. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am, here's that word again, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice I have spoken, but I will proceed no further. Job says, I'm not going to say another word in my own defense. I am vile. What does vile mean? It means I am uh, despicable. I am revolting. I am contemptible. I am disgusting. Now, I'm going to say it again. It's easy to see that in other people. Do you see it about yourself? That's a hell. You'll never get saved until you see how you really are in God's eyes. And even though you're saved and you are a saint, you are still, there's a part of you that is vile. And we've got to understand this. Uh, the most, so you've got probably the greatest Christians ever lived, Apostle Paul. You've probably got the most righteous man in the Old Testament, Job. Another guy named John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. You know what he said? He said, although my memory is failing. This is what he wrote in his journal is, is toward the end of his life. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner. 
and Christ is a great Savior. Now, until you have that balance and you realize, I am not worthy of being saved, but I am saved. <laughs> until you understand that, you're going to be proud, arrogant, pharisaical. You're going to be a nightmare to live with and to, to, to try to serve the Lord with. So, uh, take it to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John. Almost to the end of your Bible, just for Revelation. The Apostle John in 1 John makes it very plain and simple. Verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And notice the we. This is not French. When he says we, he's talking about himself and all Christians. He said, if we say that we have no sin, who are we deceiving? Who are we tricking? We're lying to ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Talking about God. And his word is not in us. So number one, we Christians still willfully do wrong. Number two, we, when Christians say that they don't sin, they're lying. So we Christians still sin. We're not sinless. And, and that needs to be, that's why we need to watch one another. That's why we have checks and balances. That's why we, we have a very, um, uh, a very messed up world because everybody sort of says, oh, we're all good. I remember growing up, and you know what they taught in philosophy and they taught about child training? Don't upset the child. The child is just expressing himself. No, the child's a little devil. <laughs> but they let that kid just do his own thing. Oh, his goodness will come out. It never came out. And so we learned that everybody basically is good at their core. Remember hearing that? We're not. We and, and say, well, I'm saved now. I, I shouldn't be sinning. That's right. But you do. We are not sinless. And that means we still need laws. We still need rules. We still have expectations because we can't be trusted. I cannot trust myself and we can't trust each other. Amen. You better have learned that from the Catholic Church. Amen. So we're not sinless. The question is, why do we still sin? And secondly, is there any hope? Is there any hope that one day we will stop? Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 7. And Paul starts to answer this thing. And I'm only going to begin. Let's review a little bit about last week's lesson. And if you don't, if, if this thing's kind of just right over your head, go back and listen to last week's message. There's enough meat in there to keep you occupied for a month. But the first six, six verses here in Romans chapter 7, Paul describes our relationship with our body. And then he compares it to a relationship we want to have with Jesus. Let me just read one down to six. It says this. No, you're not, brethren. For I speak to them that know the law. What kind of people know the law? The Jews. So he's dealing with believing Jews who are struggling with the concept of, well, do we still need the law? Am I, am I not sinless now? No, no, no. Watch it. How that the law have dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband. Here's his example is bound by the law. Hey, when you get married, you make a vow that binds you to that person for life. You're bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But there's a caveat. If the husband be dead, hallelujah, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she tries to be married to another man, she should be called a what? All right. Now she's in love with someone else. The first marriage is not working out too well, and she wants to be with someone else. But if, she, if that man's still alive, now I know that we talked about last week, there are some conditions why somebody can get a divorce. But Paul doesn't even bring it. He just deals with the principle of marriage. You're supposed to be married till death do you part. That's God's design. And he says, if you try to be married to someone else, a, met, a better man, while you're still married to the first man, you're an adulteress. And that's even more wrong than the abuse you may be encountering. But if her husband be dead, can you say hallelujah? <laughs> Without you poisoning him. If her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is now no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, look at this. Ye, circle that word ye, also are become dead. We want the other person to die, and yet God says, I want you to die. Let's keep going. Ye are, ye are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, what he went through, that ye should be married to another, even to him, to Jesus, who is raised from the dead, that 
we should bring forth fruit unto God now. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, all the activities of sins which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. They were killing us, verse 6. But now we are delivered from that law that governed our first relationship with our flesh. That thing, being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So I could, I could preach all last week's message, and it would be just as fresh today, but I'm just going to move on. I'm going to say very quickly, our soul was joined to our body from birth, like being married. Uh, everything about me, my flesh, was imperfect. It still is imperfect, by the way. And, you know, ever since I got aware of me, it, it was not, my life was not what I expected. As a matter of fact, my flesh has been kind of cruel to me sometimes. It's like discovering everybody else is taller than you. It's like in, it's discovering that red hair everybody laughs at. So you hate your red hair. Uh, some people have freckles and they hate their freckles. Uh, I know people who can't understand math and they hate math. They hate history. Uh, some people will tell you they've never worked fast enough or good enough in sports. Um, people say, my mind races constantly at night. I can't sleep. My hands constantly sweat in panics. My body works against me. And so people hate themselves. And the truth is, you're stuck with yourself, aren't you? You say, I hate it. I'm stuck with this body. My body doesn't do what I want, and I hate it. And the truth is, everything your hands did, your mouth said, your feet traveled, your tongue, your eyes... It, it affected more than just the body. It affected your soul. And it afflicted you. It hurt you. And it hurt everyone around you like an abusive husband. And Paul's saying, I couldn't stop the abuse. The worst thing was that the law of God would not let me escape from my flesh. I heard of Jesus Christ. I knew he loved me and I wanted to love him, but I'm stuck with this flesh. Do you understand his principle? He says, I'm stuck with this thing. And I was damned to stay in this relationship with me till death do us part. But what we learned last week is that marriage was broken by death already. Whose death? Now, it's technically, it starts with Christ's death. But the moment I trust him, and, and he kills me, the old me. I let my old me die. I'll explain that a little bit more. Uh... No one can be joined to Christ unless somebody dies. And I know a lot of people who believe, well, the law died. Well, that's stupid. We need the law. We're going to see that over and over here. Sin did not die or else what's, what's going on when you do wrong? Sin is still very much alive. The truth is a person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, they died. And that's kind of hard to understand. But as far as God's concerned, you're going to have to start seeing things from God's view. When God sees me, do you know what he sees? He sees somebody who's perfect. When God sees me, he sees somebody who is, man, I'm good. <laughs> to God, he looks at me, I'm his son, and yet I'm a wretch. How is that possible? Because he's looking through Jesus Christ. You ever hear somebody say, oh, you're just looking through rose-colored glasses? Uh, you better believe it's called blood-colored glasses, crimson blood. So when, when, when I... Got so tired of myself, and I cried out to Jesus Christ to save me. God declared part of me dead. Now, only he can do that, all right? Uh, I can do all kinds of things and never fix myself, but God can declare me dead. Verse, verse 4 says it, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. So my marriage partner didn't really die, but I died. And I died to my flesh, and God declared my flesh dead so that I could be married to another. I'll show you a picture of this in a moment. So the new person, the new me, was given eternal life. I mean, what a marriage, man. I am now joined to Jesus Christ in my spirit. Look at your Bible. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Hold your place here in 1 Corinthians 6 to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. 
And he asks a question. He says, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot, there's that one night stand, is one body now. Two flesh became one. For two, God says, back in Genesis chapter 2, two shall be one flesh. But that's only physical. He that is joined to the Lord is one what? All right. So what we did was we looked at the comparison last week and we found out there's, there's more to you than just flesh and blood, flesh and bones, muscles, so on and so forth. There's a soul. That's the me. And the, the me is married to my body, okay? We're stuck together. I've been stuck with it ever since conception. And whatever the body does affects my soul. You know, uh, you don't get enough sleep, it affects you emotionally, doesn't it? You eat, you eat all the wrong foods, it affects your soul. What your body does affects your soul. And it's a rotten relationship to be in. If I, can you imagine if you lived together, to get, if you lived forever married to your body, stuck in your body, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine living forever in the body you have? The great thing about Christianity is one of these days, this robe of flesh will drop and I'll get a new body. So this is temporary. There is, however, a part of me where body, soul, and spirit, there's a part of me that's empty and dead before I get saved. And Jesus Christ wants to fill that part of me. He doesn't want to fill my body. He doesn't fill my soul. That's full of me. He fills my spirit. That's his place. He designed me with, with him in, in mind. But that, from the moment I was a young kid, my spirit is empty and dead. Then something happened when I got born again. And what happened was this, that me, the soul, uh, my body was declared dead by God. So I now can step away from him and I can be joined in, in, in one spirit. I can be joined with Jesus Christ. And, and, and that transforms my life. This is my life now. That's my ex. Remember that last week? That's my ex relationship. This is my relationship. Now, me and Jesus Christ are compared to being married together. And it's a perfect relationship. Amen. It's a perfect relationship. He'll never leave me, no matter how much I mess up. My old life doesn't last, but this new relationship is forever. And everything, and this is true. <laughs> Everything that Jesus did and does affects me. His perfection. I inherited his righteousness. Just like, here's, here's, let's just use the example that, he's, that Paul is using of a married. Here's a woman. She comes out of a very poor background and she marries into somebody who's very wealthy. And she inherits the wealth of that relationship. Well, when I got joined unto Jesus Christ, when I cried out to him to save me, and he moves into my heart, the Bible says that I became an inheritor, I, an inheritor of his righteousness. And of everything he has becomes mine as joint heir. That's a good marriage, would you agree? Why would anybody want to stay married to that thing? So, why do I still sin? I mean, that's the question. And I have to ask you this, if sin doesn't bother you, you're not saved. It's obvious. Don't worry about the sin going on in the world around you. And believe me, there's enough out there. Don't, if you watch YouTube and television and, and Netflix, stuff like that, it's 99% sin. But don't you worry about that stuff. Worry about what's in you. That's our problem. You need to be worried, concerned about sin in you. Now we go back to Romans chapter 7. We'll pick up and I'll read verse 7 down to 17 and we'll start to take it apart here Romans chapter 7 verse 7 it says what shall we say then is a law sin God forbid nay I had not known sin but by the law for I had not known lust except the law had said thou shalt not covet but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of here's a big word concupiscence it's another word for lust for without the law, sin was dead. We'll talk about that. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is what? It's holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. 
was that was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, there's your two words to circle, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I was, or what's the next word? So is Paul talking about another person or himself? Is he talking about his past or his present? I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. But what I would, that do not do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If I then if then I do that which I would not, I consent, I agree, I understand that the law unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that, that do it, that do these things, but what? Sin that dwelleth in me. Okay. So, let's, let's go here. Is God, he starts to ask a question there, and let's use his logic. I'm not going to improve on God here. He says, is the law my problem? And the truth is, most people, mm-mm, let's go up. Most people usually blame God or his laws or his rules for their failures. Um... Uh, the, the longer we go in life, the, the, the more people want to live without laws. They want to live without God's laws. Yeah. And they think that we would live, we'd be better off if we didn't have God's laws. They believe God's laws are repressive, oppressive. They damage the human spirit. That's what I've heard. People believe God's laws are wrong, out of date or out of touch. They believe God has too many rules, by the way, which is kind of funny. Because how many rules of the road are there? How many tax laws are there? Do you realize the number of volumes of tax laws you couldn't fill this, this podium with them? You, you would fill it, overfill it. How many money laundering laws are there? Building regulations, business laws. Don't tell me God has too many laws. <laughs> My son Joel, he was kind of cute. He'd get in trouble. He was, he was becoming a teenager uh, where all of a sudden he'd get in trouble and he all of a sudden was using his noggin. He was sitting there. He'd go, we'd, we'd try to reason with him. And Joel would say, well, if you didn't have the rule, I wouldn't have broken it. <laughs> wow, that was deep. <laughs> what? If you didn't have that rule, I wouldn't have done wrong. <laughs> that, that, was, that was cool. All right. Um, Verse 7, go back to Romans chapter 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law my problem? God forbid. The truth is, Paul reminds us that the law is perfect. They're appropriate for all time. They're not our problem. You know, I want to say this. Laws are not our salvation, but they're, but they're also not our problem. The law of God is good. Look at verse 12 again. Wherefore, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. So it is, go down to uh, uh, verse 14. He says, for we know that the law is even what? What is it? Spiritual. So there are things in the Old Testament that you say, oh, well, here are these priests, and they're having to wash themselves before they come in and they make sacrifice. There is spiritual stuff going on, not just physical things. There's intense principles and truths in there. Don't just throw away the Old Testament. It is rich. It is spiritual, and it is appropriate for the 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd century, as long as the Lord lasts, or has us last. This generation needs God's laws more than anything. We are probably the most lawless generation that's ever lived. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, still holding your place here. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's Paul again, 1 Timothy 1.8. But we know that the law is what? If a man use it lawfully. Now, people abuse it. I know that. But the law is good. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless. People who don't want the law, that's what the law is for. <laughs> for the speeder who doesn't care about laws, there's a law. 
And it's for the disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for menslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-sealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So there are a set of laws that are done away with, I know, that we call ceremonial laws, that I don't have to go to the temple, I don't have to have a priest, I don't have to have a lamb, I already got the lamb, amen? So there are certain laws in there that are fulfilled, they're set aside, they're not needed anymore, but the rest of them we need. Thou shalt not kill is still a good law. Thou shalt not commit adultery is still a good law. Now let's keep going. What is the purpose of the laws? He says there in verse 7, he says, what shall we say then? Is a law sin? Is it wrong? Is it sinful? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had, not, had said, Thou shalt not covet. Which commandment is that, by the way? Now, if you're Catholic, you're going to think it's two commandments. Because <laughs> they took the second commandment, got rid of it, which is don't bow down to an image. And they took the last commandment, which is thou shalt not covet, it made it into two. That's funny. Anyway, we'll stay with the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. I, I, I have to tell you this, that's the least obeyed commandment. Every time you sit in front of that television, anytime you sit on your phone, uh, media, there's a little ad down at the bottom trying to get you to covet. Trying to tell you, you need this. You need to go to this website and buy these shoes. <laughs> you need to go to this website and, and order this food or something. It's getting you to covet. Now, uh, the, the purpose of God's law is, number one, to reveal sin. The law is more precise than our conscience. You know, my conscience tells me, a lot of times tells me, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that, but it's general. But the law is very specific. 613 laws, you better believe me, they're very specific. Uh, it's more complete than my conscience. It tells us what is wrong when we would have not known otherwise. I'll give you an example. Uh, 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 go to James. And while you're doing that, let me, while you go to James chapter 1, let me say this. God's law changes my perspective on how I feel, my desires. It, it changed my perspective on what I'm doing so that I know, oh, I'm doing wrong. I gave you the example. We were in Holland and I'm traveling along 110 kilometers an hour, not knowing that it was a 100 kilometer an hour speed limit. And I got ticket after ticket, not knowing that there was a speed limit there. 110, who, who only drives 110, man? The cars were passing me by, but I got the ticket. Well, the fact that, I mean, if I had a sign up there saying, you're going too fast, I would have been glad to slow down. The law would have revealed to me I was breaking it, amen? I didn't know I was breaking it. Oh, I got the ticket in the post. I knew I was breaking it now, a little late. But it's to reveal sin. Um, hold your place there. I said go to that place. I actually want you to go to, um, um, mm, mm, mm. yeah, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Right after Hebrews, James chapter 1, verse 23. For if any be the hearer of the word, the word of God, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face like in a glass, like in a mirror. For he beholdeth himself, he sees himself, and just goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He doesn't let the mirror affect his own um, uh, perspective about himself. But whoso looketh into that perfect law of liberty and continuing, continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer of what he hears from the law, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So uh, uh, this generation thinks it's perfectly fine to say filthy words constantly. And I got, I got news for you. Most people who are sitting there saying the F word, effing and blinding all day, don't think it's wrong. You know why? Because they never were taught it was wrong. Uh, uh, this generation has got uh, a, 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 a comfortableness with sin 
They think it's normal when you're 14, 15 years old and you, you take your, you, you, you get your leaving cert, your, your junior cert results to go off and get plastered drunk that night. They think it's normal. They have no conscience about it at all. They watch a couple of dozen porn clips on their phone every day. They show great disrespect to one another, especially their husbands and their wives and their parents. I find people who just neglect church, don't even care about reading the Bible. This generation thinks it's perfectly fine to go weeks without church, weeks without reading their Bible. And then along comes a Bible preacher and says, that's sin. Amen. We need the law. We need a law to reveal I'm doing wrong. There are things that I, other people may be doing wrong, but that's not the problem. I'm doing wrong. So Paul used an example. He says, thou shalt not covet. And that made it so that when, when, you, when a person's lusting after a woman or lusting for a new dress or a new car or lusting for a baby or for a man or for a million euros, all of a sudden you read in that Bible, don't covet, you go, I, I, I'm sinning. You see, if God hadn't written that 10th commandment, we'd be, we'd be happy-go-lucky. We would be, us Western materialists would be happy because we wouldn't feel that we're doing anything wrong. But the Bible changes our perspective. So the second thing the law does is it opens us up. It examines us. The old-time doctors, I mean, I'm glad for x-ray machines. I'm glad for MRIs. But you know what the old-time doctors had to do about 100 years ago? Sedate them and open them up <laughs> to find out what's wrong with them. Got a bad cough? Bring the knife. And they would they'd cut open and look and say, oh, he's got cancer in his lungs. Man. Well, I tell you what, you start reading your Bible, you know what it does? It starts cutting you up. Take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12. Hmm. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword, we'd say like a scalpel, surgeon's knife, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, it's able to tell the difference between soul and spirit, and like a dissection thing, and of the joints and the marrow, that's between the, the bones, and is the Bible is a discerner, a critic of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. So that Bible, that Bible right there, every time you read it, it is cutting you open and showing you what's wrong in you. Amen. Some people use the Bible like a laser. Oh, I can find all the wrong in other people. Don't do that. Let it look at yourself. Let it open you up. Um, it'll show you your problem. Maybe some of your, some of your problem is in your heart. Maybe problems in, the, in your thinking. Sometimes it's in your spirit. Sometimes in your attitude, the Bible will show you. But third, the best part of the law was to guide you or even to drive you to Christ. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Galatians 3.21. Galatians 3.21, just to the right there, a couple of books. Galatians 3.21 is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. He likes saying that. <laughs> God forbid in the Greek is no way Jose. Okay? Stop it, he's saying. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all of us are under what? We're all under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe we're all in the same boat we're all sinners verse 23 but before faith came we were kept under the law shut up unto the faith shut up meaning waiting for faith which should afterward be revealed verse 24 wherefore the law was our schoolmaster that's a good old term that's your teacher that's the person who stood up at the front and made sure everybody got the lesson our law was our teacher to bring us to who not to the Pope, not to a priest, not to church, not to baptism, but to Christ. Amen. If you're going to church and you're, it makes you 
want to light more candles and and get more pictures of Padre Pio on your house. And if you're going to, you're getting the wrong message. That law drives me to a savior where we say, God, save me. And Christ is the only one who can. Keep going there. Um, I left off where I was. 24. 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified, made right by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. I don't need the intensity of the law. I need to learn from it. I still need to obey it. But it's done its job, hasn't it? It humbled me. And it drove me to Christ. The best thing that ever happened is you come to church and you felt guilty. The best thing that ever happened is you get somebody preaching or you're reading a pamphlet or a track or you're reading the Bible and you feel guilty and you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble and I don't know what to do. And that's when you cry out to Christ and that's what he's there for. That's why he saves from sin. So <clears throat> the problem is sin in me. And I don't have time to develop this. I'm going to race through a couple of things and I will come back through it next week. But look in verse 8. Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. Romans 7 and verse 8. We'll just read 7, 8 to 11 and I'll have to come back to it here. Romans 7, 8. See, I wish you all had new bodies so you could endure another hour, but you don't, so I won't. Romans chapter 7, verse 8, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. That's lustful desires. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, when I understood it, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. For sin, you ought to circle those two words, taking occasion by the commandment, it deceived me, and by it slew me. The law didn't deceive me. Sin in me uh, uh, deceived me. Um, so, Paul gives a revelation about sin. Number one, it is active. It's as if sin is alive in me. It says sin wrought, it worked, it produced death in me. The law didn't produce sin in you. Don't you dare blame God for the fact that you sin. Don't blame God for the fact you gave into temptation. You can't blame anybody but yourself. And there's something inside of you that loves that sin and you gave right into it. Without the revealing of sin in me, I would have thought I had no sin. And yet, the more I read this Bible, the more wretched I feel. The most spiritual man... In the New Testament, outside of Jesus Christ, the most spiritual man said, Oh, wretched man that I am. And he, he's the one teaching this. He doesn't say, and I've arrived. He doesn't say, oh, all you lowlifes down there struggling with sin, I have no sin. I've got to the place where I barely... No, he never says that, does he? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. So sin is active. Secondly, Sin seeks its own way. Go to James chapter 1. We're going back and forth a little bit, I know. But James chapter 1 and verse 13 now. Holding your place there in Romans. Hebrews, James chapter 1 and verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. God doesn't come along and say, here's this beautiful, adulterous relationship you can get into. God never does that. Verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, guess what lust produces? Sin. It brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death you know what sin does it does what it wants to that temptation is there you know somebody somebody put a bottle of uh, patties irish whiskey there it doesn't attract me one millisecond somebody put a pack of cigarettes there in front of me doesn't attract me for one millisecond those those don't tempt me oh but there are other things that tempt me and when those things are put in front of me that opportunity or that sensual opportunity or excuse or whatever there there is something inside of me that reaches for it and i go 
but that's not what I want. And the truth is, sin, it doesn't make sense, but it goes its own way. You say, why is one person an addict to drink and another person an addict to um, uh, to drugs, another person who's addict to porn, another person who's addict to anger or bitterness or whatever. That's sin in them. They, it has sought its own way and found its own satisfaction. Sin seeks its own way. Number three, sin is deadly. No sin you ever participate in ever helped you. Just try and live a life of rebellion. Try to live a life of smoking. Try to live a life of, of drinking. Try to live a life of, of bitterness. It's killing you. Every sin kills you. It's like a cancer. It's inside you, and it's killing you. It's like an aggressive can cancer. Um, you know, when, when Paul says, I was alive without the law, he's saying, I was alive without the law haunting me. Look it over my shoulder, but then when I learned specific commandments, I realized I was breaking God's laws and I died on the spot. I was guilty, I was condemned, I was doomed. He's speaking of his soul. I want to show you. Uh, uh, when God said in Genesis chapter 2, actually, uh, Genesis chapter 2, he says to Adam, he says, Adam, you got everything in this garden except one tree. Once you take care of everything, just don't eat this one tree. Why? The day, that you eat, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely. Okay. So the truth is, uh, the, the wages of sin was warned all the way back in the garden. And when they sinned, death came into the world, didn't it? And sin is deadly like a cancer. It's like a genetic defect passed on from person to person in our soul. And sin is in me. So back in Romans chapter 7, I'm going to have to wrap this up. Verse 17 says this. Now then, when I sin, it is no more I that do it. There's another I. But sin that dwelleth in me. So if you go to the doctor and you feel fine, and then the doctor examines you and tells you there's a deadly disease inside of you, like a cancer that is aggressive and will kill you if nothing is done, you'd take it seriously, wouldn't you? And I'm here to tell you as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, there's something inside of you that is going to kill you one day. And that is called sin. And you can't get it out, and I can't get it out. But Jesus Christ can separate that part of you that is condemned for sin and make it so that it does not pull you down to hell. It has to die. Your, your flesh is under the judgment of God and always will be. It will die and will have to be buried one day. But the real you will go on and you'll get to go into the presence of Jesus Christ if you're born again. That's what happens when a person gets saved. God doesn't fix my body. This body is unsavable. Can you say amen? You, you cannot ask God, God, I need you to fix this body. I need you to make me perfect. It never will happen. But you can make your soul washed as white as snow. It can make your spirit perfect. So, uh, I'll give you this answer. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'll probably review this next week. If I've got sin in me, where did it come from? You inherited it. Wherefore, as by one man, we want, to, I, we want to blame Eve, but we can't blame Eve, can we? By Adam, sin entered into the world, and what followed sin? Death. And death by sin, so death has now passed upon all men. Why? How can we say that? Because all have sinned. So it came into the world by Adam. Do you know Adam, when he was made, he didn't have sin in him. But when he decided to live without God, to disobey God's rule, and to go ahead and do what he wanted to do, following the devil, sin came right into this world and came right into him and took up residence. He willingly opened the door and brought sin into this world, and it passed upon all his descendants. It's like flawed DNA. I mean, some people, uh, uh, they're born with a genetic defect that they inherited maybe from their parents or maybe from their grandparents. We were all born with a spiritual defect. It's called sin. And it's in us. Uh, your parents passed on your good looks, your eye color, your height, and your gender, but they also gave you something you didn't want, and that was your sin. 
um, a desire to do your own things instead of God's, and that's time for next week. So let me, I'll talk about all that next week. I just want to remind you, Paul's going to tell us in Romans chapter 7, and gloriously as chapter 8, there is a power. I have, I have sin in my flesh, but in my spirit I have a power that's greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have help. And when you're struggling with sin and you're struggling with that old nature that keeps rising up and you keep saying you're dead, but it keeps saying, but I'm alive, and you say, no, but you're dead. <laughs> and you keep arguing with that part of you that God has declared dead, there's another voice and there's another power, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can overwhelm that desire, that, that temptation, that pull that you used to give into, and you yield and walk in the Holy Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We'll talk about that battle next week. I'm just, I'm just telling you, when, when, when Paul talks about this thing, he's telling that we sin because it's in us. And I cannot just get rid of sin and be perfect. I can walk away from it. And I can walk in the spirit. And you know, by being in church today, you probably haven't sinned. Because you were trying to walk in the spirit. You're trying to listen to the spirit of God. You're trying to listen to the word of God. You're trying to, trying to be open and yielded to the Holy Spirit. During that time, the flesh didn't have control of you, did it? So there's a way to walk and live in the spirit that defeats the flesh and lives free of it. Now you can go out of here and in 10 minutes ruin everything you learned today. You know that? You can pull out your phone and start listening and watching everything that everybody's been putting on there and soil the very clean soul God gave you. And you can ruin it all. That's up to you. But I choose to let the Holy Spirit keep me free from sin as long as possible. So we sin because there's a force inside of me that's separate than me. It lives in me and it has its own will. You say, well, what is it? It's something called sin. <laughs> and Paul says... That it's in me till, till this flesh dies. Thankfully, when I go to heaven, sin doesn't go with me. Amen. And I have limited control of that. There are times when I can actually say, I won't eat that last chocolate cake. <laughs> there are times when I do have limited control. But my flesh will do what it wants to, and sin will do what it wants to. And so I yield to God. The Christian life is not just sit back and enjoy it like a roller coaster. No, no, the Christian life is... Now that I'm saved, I'm letting God work on me to, to make me more and more like Jesus, where I never sin less, but I do sin less and less and less because I've got a good reason to. He's broken that old relationship of the old me. My past is now past. Don't you dare go back in history and bring it back into now. Your past is past. I am a new creature in Christ. His mercies are new every day. I'm going to live for him. And that is so freeing. That is so freeing, ladies and gentlemen, when you just yield to God. But what if you're not saved? See, I've been talking to the Christian here. What if you're not saved? I mean, you'll have all the same struggles I do. I've been in the hospital, seen people in the hospital, both saved and lost, both dying. One of them's got a smile on their face. One of them's in agony and crying out, Oh, God, oh, God, I hate you. The only difference between the two, they're both going to die. But one of them's got joy. No one is over. It's, it's almost home. The other one's screaming, not knowing what's going to happen, and a fear of death. If you're not saved, I think today's the day to get saved. Because if you're not saved, you have the same struggles I do. You just have no hope. And a lot of people are just too proud to want Christ to save them. I don't understand that. Why would you want to try to make it your own? You can try to, you say, well, I'll just fix myself. You can take self-help programs. You can go to coaching. You can get all kinds of things, and you still will fail. You need Jesus Christ, my friend. And you know what's great about walking in the Spirit? You know what's great about being born again? You will fail, and it'll be okay. Because he works all things together for good. He's at work in every direction at all layers. Stand with me, and let's bow in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to sing Amazing Grace in just a moment. How you can save a wretch like me. Oh, God. As we get ready to sing that song, I pray that we take a good look at ourselves and go, 
I don't like what I see. Even though I'm saved, I don't like what I see. And that's because we're looking at the outer man. We're looking at what we constantly still give in to when we don't have to. We, we live so little in the Spirit. Father, I pray you give us just the endurance to keep learning this verse by verse, going to Romans chapter 8 and learning how to live and walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh anymore. Until all that becomes clear, I pray every person in this room would realize in Jesus is full pardon, full forgiveness. We can fail. In the flesh, every failure drives me closer to death and to hell. But my failures now, no. Nah. In your hands, I'm okay. I don't like to fail. It's still awful that I do sin. But it's not the end. I have been past, present, and future forgiven. Amen. Would you please help every Christmas room take a deep breath and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving a wretch like me. Lord, I just pray that you just work on somebody's heart to realize, yeah, this is a bit complicated. But this is the reality of, of the Christian life. We still sin. But wow. Even though we do wrong, it's covered by the blood. It's paid for. It's done. And I don't want to do wrong. At least part of me doesn't. And that part of me is much stronger than the old me. Lord, don't let us, don't let us, don't let us at all think that it's normal, right, natural for us to live like the world. Help us to love you and live for you. Because you're worthy. And this is eternity that we're talking about. We're going to live this way in heaven forever. Why don't we get started now? So I pray that you bless and help somebody this morning cry out to you and say, Lord, I may not have understood everything, but I know what I want, and that is to be forgiven. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to have a relationship with him. I want him to live in my heart. And um, Lord, you saved a wretch like me 43 years ago. I pray you'd save another wretch today. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymn.